November 12 through 18 is World Perinatal Mental Health Week. And if you're aware of any of my work, you'll know I'm a huge advocate for parental mental health. It's estimated that one in five mums and one in 10 dads suffer from some type of perinatal depression or anxiety. That's why I'm a proud clinical champion for PANDA, Australia's free perinatal mental health national helpline for new and expecting parents. They provide telecounselling and support whether you are just having a rough day or dealing with major shifts in your mental health. The hotline runs Monday to Saturday on 1300 726 306. Panda.org.au also has plenty of resources online. Seeking help can feel like a huge step, but it is the best thing you can do for your family. Hi, I'm Dr. Daniel Golshevsky, paediatrician and father of three. Welcome to my podcast, Dr. Golly and the Experts. Each episode, I'm joined by a parent who has faced an enormous challenge in raising their child and come out the other side as the expert. Alexis Bree is an international marketing entrepreneur, a model and founder of the content creation and marketing studio Brand Fluff. But above all that, she is a mum to her son, Diesel. And when Diesel was one, he was diagnosed with severe atopic dermatitis and anaphylaxis. Atopic dermatitis is more commonly known as eczema, and it can vary from mild dry skin to such a severity that it's treated using the same medicine that is used in chemotherapy. And anaphylaxis is the extreme version of allergy, where even the slightest exposure to an offending allergen can be life-threatening in an instant. It demands a degree of parental vigilance that I can barely fathom. The conditions have taught Alexis many things, but mostly how important it is to have courage to stand up for yourself as a parent and in advocating for your child. Alexis, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dr. Golly. Let's jump straight in. Tell me about Diesel. Yeah, he's awesome. Um, It's been a wild ride, lots of trial and error for him because he's a sensitive kid in terms of his skin and his system. And we had, you know, a couple of hiccups right at the start. And when we found out, well, first of all, we knew he had eczema after we started introducing solids, not straight away, but more so when he'd probably start eating more and more food as he got a bit older, so probably like nine months or so. And then we didn't know he was anaphylactic until just after he was one, purely because I didn't actually give him um, any peanuts until that point. So it was just, yeah, by chance that I was like, okay, I should probably um, introduce peanuts into his system. And then. And had, had you been consciously avoiding peanuts up until then? No, I just forgot about peanuts for some reason. And I ate peanut butter a lot, but I just hadn't given it to him. So that was a bit of a shock when that happened. But because he already had eczema and we'd kind of already been observing that, I thought maybe it was something to do with that. And then obviously got tested and I mean, it's a much longer story, but he didn't actually ingest the peanuts at the time. All I gave him, it was just exposure in his mouth. He spat it out, so he didn't actually swallow. Thank goodness he didn't because he still had a really severe reaction just on his face. But yeah, and then the journey from there has been basically monitoring it, managing it, 
and figuring out how to keep him safe, but also educating him so that he's aware what can happen to him when he's in situations without me there. It's almost like treating him like a little adult, I suppose, because you kind of I have to give him the news in real life. Like, I'm sorry, but if you eat this, you can die, which is really worrying as a parent, honestly. So let's break this up into eczema and anaphylaxis. Let's talk eczema Mm -hmm. first. This is almost always discovered before allergies are, as you said. You had your first run-in with eczema when Diesel was exposed to solids. Mm -hmm. Was there any indication earlier than that that he had a tendency to dry skin? Not really. So he was breastfed and formula baby from the start. I knew he was a bit sensitive because we'd have to try a couple of different formulas because his digestive system wouldn't really take. And then we end up going on like Bellamy's, which is obviously very similar to breast milk in terms of the consistency and things like that. His skin didn't feel dry, but he was fussy from the get-go. And I think like the baby foods, like the purees and things like that, they didn't seem to really react with him. It was more so like real life foods that obviously started triggering something like yogurt, which was a massive one, which I... where, where Where did the eczema flares occur? His entire body when he was a baby. So nothing really on his face, but pretty much from like folds. So neck folds, arm folds bottom, back, tummy. This was obviously, you know, he he didn't even really crawl. He was kind of like laced around and then just started walking early. So it was pretty red actually. And so I didn't really know what to do. And we were actually in, we went to the Lady Salento quite a lot for Diesel when he was little. We had a couple of accidents and he had a kidney issue pre-birth. Um, so they put us into a dermatology program And it, I mean, it's excellent because you get in there and get to see these specialists. However, I just didn't get the advice that I needed. I just didn't feel armed with knowledge. I kind of get kept getting told the same thing, you know, wet wraps, steroids, ointments, and Condi's crystals baths. And that was the same thing every year. And I was like, this is not working. Please help me. Like, what else can I do? can I do food? Can I do all these things? And I was told, you know, it has nothing to do with food. And I was like, but the gut is like so central in everything else in your system. And so, yeah, so basically that was the conversation. And then I kind of educated myself and being in the world of like, you know, I work in digital marketing, so I've spent majority of my day on socials. And I just look at like what everyone was using. And I mean, it's so vast, everyone's solutions for (laughs) eczema, which is just so overwhelming because as a parent, you're like, well, I don't know what to pick. And I spent so much money (laughs) on so many products. Yeah, I see that all too often. And and for that very reason, I love that you, you describe your early journey because it is it's exactly as you described. There's so much noise and there's so many pieces of advice and you've got to try this, you've got to try that. And when you see your child uncomfortable and suffering, you do anything. If someone says Mm. you've got to get this, you know, goat butter, you can only import from God knows where, you will. You'll try it. And you're right. You do end up spending a fortune. Mm -hmm. And and your mother's intuition is 100% correct. Uh, eczema is affected from the inside. There's no question. Mm. You know, often I tell parents that the skin is a window into the body. 
And if you're putting something into the body, whether it's the type of formula or it's a certain solids or whatever it may be, something in a breastfeeding mother's diet, you can see if it's disagreeing with a child by whether or not the eczema flares. Yes. So yes, you treat it from the outside, but you should always try to uh, seek, you may not always find, but always try to find what may be triggering, what may be fueling and driving that eczema from the inside. Mm. Part of this podcast is, is to walk through your journey, but also to use it as an opportunity to educate as well. Mm-hmm. And there's this wonderful nurse practitioner that I used to work with at the, at the Royal Children's in Melbourne, Emma. She is like the doyen of eczema. She's world leading. And she says, if there's one thing that I, I can convey, if there's one thing you take from this, remember that heat is the enemy of eczema. Mm-hmm. And so she has got this rule that, you cannot put these babies in singlets because people always put a singlet and a onesie and an extra, you know, we tend to overheat our babies. And the the areas where you described Diesel having his eczema in the folds, well, those are the hot areas where you've Mm. got skin touching skin. You've often got multiple layers, nappy, singlet, onesie, blanket, etc. And that's why those areas are most commonly affected. They get hot, they get sweaty, then they get wet. And that's why we tend to get... Um, We call them flexures where joints flex and then you've got like behind the knee or Mm. front of the ankle, in the elbow, under the neck, if there are fat folds there, really common places to to get eczema. Mm. So let's talk about treatment because as you said, it was mild early on. Mm -hmm. Were you just told to moisturize? Pretty much ointment, like epiderm ointment, so the really thick ointment and pretty much the routine was, I mean... They wanted me to do it four times a day. And I was like, first of all, he goes to daycare. There's no way that they're giving that to him. Second of all, it's so hot. And and this is, just so people understand, this is like thick like Vaseline. Oh, so thick. Like you feel like it's gross. Like when you're covered in it, you you just don't want to touch yourself. (laughs) Um, But it works. So that was my that was my treatment plan. Like, we don't care. You need to put on four times a day. I was like, it's just okay. No, I'll do morning and night. And so we did that, I'm not even kidding you, for probably three years, every day, morning and night. And by the time he was about four, he was getting pimples because his skin was couldn't breathe. Mm. It was just covered, like it, it wasn't airing enough. And, I mean, we religiously gave him like such deep like cleansing baths and showers and everything. But, you know, when you're constantly applying, it's just too much. So I then was like, okay, I need to go into the next phase. I need to see if this is going to work better by pulling back on um, the moisturizers and all that type of thing. But pretty much from the get-go, they were like, here's steroids, put it on your eczema and then layer it with ointment. And then if you can put wet wraps on them, do it. But Diesel was like, absolutely not. He would not have a bar of that. All so, right. What, explain to people who don't know what is a wet wrap or, or otherwise known as a wet dressing. Yes. So basically what happens is it helps infuse the steroid and the product into the skin quicker. So you would put the steroid on, on the skin, you would cover it in ointment and it's like bandage, like gauze, but they come in tubing that are the size of kids' limbs and torsos. So you then cut them to size. So say, for example, it was your arm. So you'd cut from like wrist to to underarm. 
and then soak that in water, wring it out and then apply that over the top and, and put it on there and then put clothes over the top. So first of all, that's so hot because that's like so much going on on their skin. Second of all, that actually dries in about an hour and then you're supposed to get up and do it again. So if you'll put your kid to bed, they're like, you just have to keep doing it and keep reapplying. And I'm like, that is so ridiculous. First of all, eczema kids wake up all the time because they're itchy. Yep. They don't get solid sleep because they're constantly scratching. So you're, you're even furthering interrupting their like rest time. So we just decided not to do that. And even though Diesel would wake up... Oh, even until he was about five, 12 to 15 times a night, wow. um, just so itchy and crying and <sighs> literally that was my life basically for so many years and trying them not to scratch even though they're in physical pain and you can see it in their faces. And then I actually had all these amazing bath products that I thought was helping and I vis like I vividly remember we went on this vacation and I took this eczema specific bath wash and I bathed him in it and then I'd put him to bed and he was sleeping next to me and he would wake up every 30 minutes crying, screaming, scratching. And I did that for like seven days and then I got home and I was like, what is going on? And then I realized it was the product. So some of these products actually make their skin worse. That's right. And and a lot of the things that are advertised as for sensitive skin or for eczema actually contain fragrances and preservatives and mm -hmm. colorings that make it significantly worse. Yes. It's so hard to know what to pick. And honestly, it's a it's a battle that you're just you need to find what works for your child. Every child is so, so different. Mm. You can take recommendations, which is great, but you just you just need to try them, unfortunately, because what works on your kid might not work on another kid and they may need light lotions versus a thick ointment. You just don't know. And there's so many levels of steroids. And don't get me wrong, I prefer not to use steroids because of things that can happen later in life with skin. However, when it's really bad, you need to use steroids mm. because you have to get that immediate reaction down but in, in all honesty, what works is food. Because, is food, treating it from the inside. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that's that's how I've gone from having this kid who was like red raw to now it's a sporadic breakout and like this much eczema on the back of his legs, maybe like every month. And like the rest of his skin is beautiful. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful um point that you make, that you've got to treat it from the inside and the outside, mm -hmm. um, but prevention is key. Yes. Mm. Because topically applying only does one thing. Mm. And if something's happening and it's reoccurring, and you see this on kids that have eczema on their faces, they're eating something that's not agreeing with them because they have a sensitive system. And for Diesel, like his diet is so strict and it is hard. I get it. Like when you're in, when you're doing new diets with kids because they want to eat all the foods. But we cut back on like, and this is going to surprise people, but watermelon, grapes, strawberries, um, raspberries, anything with sugar, any type of yogurt, regardless what type of yogurt it was, coconut or normal yogurt, spices. He was on a lactose-free diet. He could, and there was like a few other things, but. 
And then we kind of got to that. And then I was like, wow, he's good now. Like we're actually noticing times where we don't have to use any products for like an extended period of time. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't used a product in six months. This is amazing. But I'm like very strict. Like if, you, if this is going to work for you and your child, you have to be strict. And to make it easier for him, I am actually keto so that I don't eat these sugars. It's hard when a family eats differently to their child because they feel denied. Yeah. So I'd go and make like keto versions of cakes for birthdays and he'd be able to eat them because it's coconut sugar and coconut flour, which doesn't have the same inflammatory properties. So he'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm eating cake. It's so fun. And then, you know, it's just like, it's an emotional thing for a parent to watch that because you're like, oh, I really wish you could eat those things. And just be normal. Yeah. Mm. But in saying that, in the last probably three months, I've been, because he's at school now, I've been introducing like a snake after like a game of sport and I haven't noticed any reaction. So I'm hoping that little things here and there we can introduce over time and he can have a little bit more normalcy around that diet. But I think it's because we, I mean, essentially the word is denied him those triggering foods for four or five years that may seem to have reset whatever was happening from a baby. I had the privilege of working with a world-renowned paediatric dermatologist by the name of Rod Phillips uh, at the Children's Hospital in a skin clinic. And we would see uh, these families exactly as you described. And he had a really beautiful way of putting it, an analogy to give parents of a pot of water on the stovetop. And because eczema is a condition of heat, as we've already discussed, mm -hmm. that, that Emma King talks about, the best way to think of it is that the skin is like the temperature of the water and an eczema flare is when that water's bubbling, bubbling mm -hmm. over. And everything that you can do to take the heat out of that pot will mean that a small flare, whether it's a lolly at the end of a game of soccer or it's a, a vaccination or it's a virus they get or if mm -hmm. the neighbour's been mowing the lawn and, and the pollen is a trigger, whatever it may be, the hope is that the child can tolerate that little blip because the water temperature is so cool. So yes. we try and do as much as you're talking about prevention of heat in the skin as possible. Um, the other thing you mentioned, steroids, and there is a, a correct desire to reduce the amount of steroids given to mm -hmm. children on the skin. What paediatricians find all too often is that people are very, very gentle with the application of steroid. They try to minimize it. They try to use the lowest strength as little as possible. And it ends up being ineffective or effective only for a day or mm. eight hours, whatever it may be. And in the long run, they end up using more steroid that if, than if they just hit it hard, took a lot of heat out of that pot and mm. brought it right down to then rely on preventative measures, simple moisturisers, etc. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's really important. So you kind of just have to commit to it to get it down, even though you may disagree with the fact that it's a steroid cream and you personally don't like them. Mm. This well-being of that child and the fact that they feel so awful, you need to do those steps but then also look at 
the rest of their life and how potentially you can change that to make it better for them. And like, in all honesty, it's very, there's a lot of people that go, oh, I just don't, I don't want to really change this because they really like that. You need to make that decision for the kid. He can't make, or she can't make that for himself. They will want to keep doing what they're doing because they're a child. They don't know any better. You need to step in and help them because it's, it's miserable watching them. And and something else environmental as well, dust, grass, even the fabrics they put on their skin can be triggers. Diesel has to wear all cotton or there's that polyester that has a sense of cotton. He can't wear anything that's like full polyester because he breaks out because it rubs the wrong way, he sweats, and then he ends up having a reaction. And the same with socks. Like we even went through this whole thing of like 100% cotton socks for a while because I could not get rid of the eczema on his ankles. So speaking of, you know, I've said the biggest enemy of eczema is heat. So dressing kids can be really challenging, especially trans-seasonally where you, you know, it might be warm in the evening, but then get very cold overnight and kids mm-hmm. can wake because of that. Did you use different items of clothing and different things, you know, we talk about TOGS, the thermal overall grade, which in simple terms tells you how warm the material is, like a thin cotton layer would be 0.5 TOG and a a big thick doona that an adult would use would be, you know, 10 plus TOG. Um, Ergo pouch is one example. They're very clear with their TOG ratings. Did Did you have one that you went to specifically that was helpful for diesel? Yeah, we had quite a bunch um, because obviously he did get hot. Mm. So we would generally use the on the lighter scale and then layer him for winter. We did have one of those really, really thick ones. But, I mean, being Queensland, it's not that cold. So it would pretty much be used like maybe a couple of weeks. Mm. But they were great. And obviously he was quite little when he wore them and then – you know, he's a tall kid as well. So like lengthwise, he didn't always fit in them. But generally speaking, they were, they were great, but we'd normally go to the lighter ones. And, and yeah, coming into summer, keeping them cool is, is crucial. There's this little rule of thumb that I use when, with a child who's got an eczema flare, you always want to remove one layer. So you want to be at about 0.5 TOG. So go with a a brand that, that clearly states the TOG rating and you want to sometimes even go lower than what is recommended. So it means they won't wake due to cold, but also their eczema won't have a chance to overheat. Yeah. And I think people don't realize that because kids with eczema are hotter, they're going to wake up if they're cold. And generally Mm. speaking, they don't because their bodies are warmer, which means you don't need all those layers that you think that you, they need. And I'm talking like a, a not an infant, obviously, mm. but like a little bit older. But like if I'm cold because I'm a cold person, Diesel will sleep in hardly anything and be totally fine because his system is a lot hotter it than runs yours. hotter, yeah. Yeah, so they're really good, but definitely don't, like less is more for kids with eczema mm. for sure. And oh, by the way parents out there, if you're using ointments, be prepared to literally throw out sheets and clothes <laughs> and undies constantly because the the ointment soaks in and they become like heavy. heavy like they're oily, it's awful. Yeah. You can and by the way, you cannot get it out of them. I've tried <laughs> multiple times. I every season you're throwing out all your clothes, all your sheets, everything. And that's just a part of it. 
because you need to apply thick, thick layers to get it into them. And they won't like it. Ointment, no kid likes ointment. It feels thick on their skin and then you're making them get into bed and they're like, oh my God, I don't want to touch anything. Like it's so yuck. But you just have to kind of force exactly. <laughs> to do it. Exactly. Would you agree that the itch and the discomfort of eczema is, is grossly underestimated? Oh, it's, yes, 100%. And the reason I say this is because I actually have a severe fish allergy. And when I'm in that reaction, it's an under-the-skin itch. And so I can imagine this from an eczema sufferer, but theirs is on top. My reaction lasts six months from a fish, like a fish exposure. Six months? Six months. And I am on fire internally and I scratch all my skin off my body and I get well. It's, it's horrible. It's so mentally debilitating as well. So I can f- I feel what they feel where there is no, like there's nothing that feels good. It's just everlasting. And you can't escape day. your own skin. Correct. Yeah. And your skin is like you need it for everything and it, it's your barrier. It protects you from so much and yet... It's in trauma and it's freaking out and there's nothing you can do about it. And you, yeah. you, you raise a really beautiful point about the barrier. Our skin mm-hmm. is our biggest organ and it protects us from the outside world, from bugs. Bugs live on the skin and eczema is dryness. Now, if you dry the skin enough, it will eventually crack. And mm. crack means an opening for an in, a bug to climb in. So yeah. one of the very real problems with eczema is infection. These mm. kids are frequently put on antibiotics and they get they get awful skin infections which are itchy and if you scratch an infected part of eczema, it can then scar. So we're talking about lifelong mm-hmm. uh, scarring here. Did you Were you ever instructed to do bleach baths for diesel? Yes. So we... We were given, like they were, they were telling us about them and there was this alternative because I was like, I'm freaking out about putting my kid in bleach. Like, the, essentially. Yes, that's what I was getting at. That's a hell of a yeah. big thing to, to tell a parent, dump your child in bleach. Yeah. You know how it smells when yeah. you're clean with it. So you're like, why would I put my kid in this? Anyway, I just couldn't bring myself to do a proper bleach bath. So I found this. This is diluted just for the, for the yes, record. Yes. So it's not just like a whole bottle. <laughs> And also the reason, like, I feel like for people who don't know that eczema skin is different. Yes. So you put, you can put eczema skin in different things and it doesn't have the same reaction as your skin. Very um, good point. So things like, for example, I did Condis crystals instead, which for people who don't know what that is, it's like hot pink and you sprinkle the smallest amount in the bath and it essentially goes so deep into the levels of dermis under the skin that it helps stop it from coming to the surface. So we did that. And then there was this other product that essentially mimicked a bleach bath. So we did that as well. But you can't obviously do them every day. But they, yeah, that was like, yeah, just another, and this, try this, and then try this. Now, you talk about advocating for your child and the things that you need to do, even though you know they're uncomfortable, they are, they smell, uh, mm. they might be painful, onerous, but you do it because you know that your child will benefit. We've covered wet dressings, bleach baths, ointments, mm. moisturizers. It is so 
onerous for for some parents to do this um, and so taxing that I mentioned the dermatologist with whom I used to work. We still work together with admissions to hospital. So these these are the kids that are, the parents are doing all they possibly can from the inside, from the outside, and they just cannot get on top of the eczema. That, that pot is boiling constantly. We admit these children to hospitals for intensive, intensive treatment. And it's predominantly about bleach baths, antibiotics, topical treatments, so different steroids and non-steroid alternatives on the skin, but also the wet dressings. Yeah. You know, you talked about wet dressings, but for someone who's never heard of them or never seen them, I, I cannot describe the challenge of a wet dressing. You are, you're putting your child in wet wraps mm-hmm. and telling them to go to sleep. Like this, the bed gets wet, the sheets get wet. It is so uncomfortable. My goodness, do they work? But it is an incredibly uncomfortable thing, yeah. and um, and that's why these kids often need to come to hospital because you know it, you've got a team of doctors and nurses, as opposed to mm. one or two parents doing it at home. And the kid flat out refusing. Absolutely, you know, like screaming in your face. Absolutely not. This is not happening. I mean, they look they look crazy. They're wrapped up like mummies. Yeah, and, and then, then, you're then supposed wet. To put pajamas and even in winter I, yeah. I said to my dermatologist I was like how how in winter it's freezing well they'll feel better they're 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 hotter humans anyway they'll be fine I'm like what and then they get sick because they feel freezing cold that's right like no this sounds ludicrous to me basically and unfortunately though if you're having a really raw, horrible experience, you have to do it. But we could never get him to do that. Like ever. I was like, fine, I will get up 15 times a night and reapply anti-itch lotion to you instead of doing that. I I will not sleep. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think with parenting, it's so hard because if you have a kid that has these things and you literally aren't sleeping, obviously mentally, that's terrible for you. And the kid may not necessarily, they, they seem okay. They just seem a little bit more tidal lethargic, but it's so taxing on the parent and the child because you're, what else can I give this baby? What else can I do for them? Like to minimize their pain or like. And we can't uh, underestimate it. It affects, it slows development. It mm-hmm. can slow weight gain. It can, it can be an enormous problem affecting all aspects of life. Oh, Absolutely. There's so many things that can happen. It's it's just, it's something, I mean, people do talk about eczema and, but I think if you've never experienced it, you don't know how consuming it is mm. for, or for everyone in the family. And if you have a child that's quite vocal, like Diesel's very vocal. So if, if he wakes up, he's immediately screaming. Basically, that's just his reaction to waking up if he's itchy and You'll notice like coming into summer, they're they're more reactive and then switching from summer to winter, they're more reactive. It's kind of like you never can win. Yeah. Winter, they're dry. Summer, they're hot. That's both problematic for eczema sufferers. You're 100% right. And and did Diesel grow up in Queensland? Yeah. Yeah. Easier than growing up in Victoria. So. You know, you, you talk about the environment having a huge impact. Eczema is dryness. So if, if you live in a dry climate, you know, close to no humidity, the environment even takes moisture from your skin. Mm-hmm. 
So a lot of mm. people say to me, how am I going to manage my child's eczema when we go away on holiday to Queensland? And I just smile and say, the eczema will disappear in Queensland. It'll be twice as good mm. as it is in Melbourne. But then you're right. It becomes an issue in summer because you don't want them to be too hot, but then air conditioning is drying. Very. And so you do. You feel like you cannot win. Yeah. I mean, there's like nature's help, which is like, you know, salt water in the ocean. Mm. So... Uh, and then chlorine, right? Like this, yeah. like, there's a whole thing about chlorine. Chlorine can be great because it's kind of like a bleach bath. Yes. But then chlorine is super drying on the skin as well. So salt water is probably the best thing you can do for eczema kids, but then lather them, like shower them and lather them straight away. You yeah. cannot let eczema kids get out of a pool or the ocean and not fully rinse them and clean them. It's like their skin is so bad after that happens. And that's why even like, for example, Diesel, they're doing like swim school now during school hours. And I literally have to go and tell the principal, you have to take my kid and he has to rinse himself off and he has to wash himself. Like, like, I'm sorry, like he might feel really alienated, but if you don't, then you're going to go back to class and just be like, itching on your skin. And like, there's little things that you just don't, like, he's like just turned six. That's like a big responsibility for a six-year-old to be like, hey, I need to go and do this because my mum said I have (laughs) to do it. And (laughs) like. Do you feel like you are, you are that nagging mum? I've just come to terms with the fact that I'm like a helicopter parent. You have to be. I'm okay with it because his best interests are that. And I have other parents that literally just go, oh, why do you, I don't understand why you're like so in it. And like, I'm totally fine with being that parent that takes all of his food to parties and like, will sit there next to him and make sure he's okay and not sit back with like the other parents. I'm so fine because I'd rather him be safe and be armed with the knowledge to know that he's okay and not feel like something's going to go wrong. Do you know what I mean? Or he doesn't know how to react or he gets triggered by something, Absolutely. you know, without knowing. That's why you're the expert. That's why you're here. And, and, and eczema is funny like that because when you are really strict and when you are pedantic as a parent and when you are really on top of treatment, child looks normal. So people yeah. might look at you and think, What's, why, why is she acting so pedantic? Why is she being so fussy? It's because you're doing that that the child has good skin, the child can sleep, the child can play, the child can be happy. So it really is a challenge for parents with a condition that is largely hidden from view. Yeah, especially because a lot of the time eczema is under the clothes, you know, depending on what they're wearing. And they're like, oh, listen, one thing is not going to, it's not going to (laughs) like hurt him. And you're like, you don't know my kid. If only they knew. Yeah. I'd, I'd, and in all honesty, you, you're like, I'd love to give him this. Of course I would. That would be so nice. But you don't have to deal with my kid at nighttime waking up all these and like being so upset. And like, and unfortunately, it's unfair. It is unfair to them. And I, you feel really bad about it, but there's nothing, there's nothing you can do. Let's pivot now to anaphylaxis. Um, yes. They, they, they come under the same umbrella. The umbrella, we call that atopy, which just means sensitivity. So you can mm-hmm. have all or one or numerous of eczema, hay fever, allergy, um, sensitive gut, asthma. You mentioned he's allergic to peanuts. Mm-hmm. Talk me through the moment you exposed him to it. What happened? 
So as mentioned, I forgot to give him peanuts. So I was like, okay, I really need to give him this. So I cut a tiny piece of toast, about a centimetre big, put a tiny bit of peanut butter on it and forced it into his mouth because he wouldn't open his mouth. And he chewed it and then spat it out. And within seconds, he blew up, hives all over his face, the skin started to go splotchy. I freaked out and I called, I think I called ambulance and they were like, let's just listen to his breathing. And thank goodness, I think because he didn't ingest, nothing happened to his airway. So they were like, he sounds fine. Give him antihistamine, which obviously I have because he has eczema and I religiously give him antihistamine for that. And that went away. So then they obviously got us in to get him tested and he was, yeah, about one, and they did they did the full test to find out what else he was allergic to. So you're talking about skin prick testing? Yes. Okay, yes. talk us through that because you say it uh, with ease, but for <laughs> someone who's never experienced it, that is incredibly traumatizing. Yeah, it's awful. So what do they do during a skin prick test? So basically, there are many types of allergens that you can test for, but they, generally speaking, in a little kid, they'll test the main ones unless there's a reason to test other things that are important. So they're tiny, basically little, all these little needles and your your child puts their arm out basically and they will prick all the needles one by one from the allergens into the child's skin. So first, your kid's going to be screaming because obviously that's awful. And it's very quick. It's like a scratch with the tip tip of the needle, like like it's quite quick. But what happens is you go through that and then their skin will flare up. And depending on how high or wide or whatever the measurement is, that is the level of severity to that particular allergen. So, Diesel was severe with peanuts and obviously peanuts is in the family of like cashews and pistachios. So essentially they kind of, they are also uh, no go for him. Um, and then he also came back allergic to dust severely. And then a couple of others were like light. So they were like, oh, he'll probably have a reaction, but nothing life-threatening. Just to illustrate, peanuts, you can see it, you can read it. Dust. Yeah, and dust. Dust is everywhere. Everywhere. And that's probably also why his eczema was so bad, right? Um, Which is, and that's like another, you know, as a parent, you have to clean your house constantly to Mm. try and get rid of dust, which is, you know, almost impossible. I mean, you can reduce dust, house dust mite and exposure, but as you said, you sort of, as a parent, you feel like you want to vacuum 10 times a day. Mm. You know, you want no carpet in the house. You really can't escape dust. No. I know. And it's in, it's in everything, carpets, rugs. Like I would never let Diesel roll around on a mat ever because I was like, you just can't, you have to go sit over there instead, like on the tile. Yeah. I've got, I've got a patient who had to change daycares because she would come home along um, one side of each uh, lower leg, just flared up with Mm. welts everywhere because she was allergic to the dust that was in the carpet on the floor. So she had to move to a daycare that had floorboards. It was incredible. I mean, the impact that this has on families, I can't emphasize enough just how challenging this is for some people and clearly how challenging it was for you guys with diesel. And sometimes you don't know what it is either. You're like, well, what have have you been doing today? And you try and get the kid to tell you and 
they don't know. Mm. They're, you know, to them, it's like, oh, I don't know, maybe I hit my leg or they, maybe they the have no pit. idea. Maybe it's the pet yeah. bunny, you know. Yeah. So it's also having a really good daycare or school that's a bit more familiar with your child and their needs and and don't ever be afraid to ask and like state the reasons why and demand answers because you are their only parent and you are their biggest advocate and what you say matters and don't take no for an answer if you until you get what you need that's the biggest thing anyway back to anaphylaxis yeah so we basically went through that and then obviously got the EpiPen, which is his preventer if something does happen. And they go through the whole process on how to administer an EpiPen. And then you need to train the people around you. Mm. So this is an adrenaline auto-injector for those not familiar with an EpiPen. Have you ever had to use it on diesel? I haven't, thank goodness. Touch wood. Yeah, it's a hard Um, thing to do. Yeah. And they give you a practice one generally so that you can practice as a parent at home and also with grandparents and, you know, extended family, because that kid, you need to have an EpiPen with them for the rest of their lives, basically. So they have to have one of them at all times. So you get, for people who don't know, you get like two free EpiPens a year and then they expire every year and you keep going and getting more and more. And two, two is not enough, is it? Well, not not if you have a reaction, no. Because if you use one, you've only got one left. And if your kid goes to daycare and then he's with the grandparent and is at home, that's like three. That yeah, you, need. you want so one you, with you. You want one in dad's car. You want one at home. Yeah. You want one, you know, you want them yeah. everywhere. And, and, and they're expensive. Exactly. They're expensive. Yeah. And sometimes you have no choice but to go and buy more. And I had to this year because we went traveling for the first time overseas with Diesel And I was like, I need to have more because I am really worried about taking him somewhere unfamiliar. And it was Japan. So they are a very safe place. However, you just don't know what people put in their foods. Um, So so what does travel look like for you, for your family? This was very interesting, actually. I, obviously with my allergy, I can manage it by just not eating fish, right? But it's not going to kill me. It's just it terrible reaction. But with Diesel, I was like, I wonder if I have to do anything considering he's anaphylactic. And I obviously have to take his device on the plane with me, which is a needle. Do you know what I mean? Essentially. I reached out to them and I was like, hey, um, I don't really know the process. And they were like, okay, you have to fill out this form. And then you have to get your doctor's approval that he hasn't had an anaphylactic reaction in the last year. And then we can approve you to fly. And I was like, I've already booked. You're not allowed to fly. Yeah. They have to approve you. This is not an insurance issue. This is the airline. Yeah. I was like, what do you mean? I've booked my flight. And they were like, oh no, we have to approve you. So I had to go through this rapid doctor approval. And then I got approval the day we were flying basically saying diesel is approved to fly. I was like, what? And then there's no option for you to write that your kid's anaphylactic. Like when you're booking something, I reached out to them and I was like, hey, my kid is allergic to peanuts. You cannot have anything near his food because you forget that, you know, you're in their hands, basically in the air. And I remember getting on the plane And I'd bought him all this extra food because I was freaking out. And they were like, here, here's his food. And I was like, there's no nutrition panel on here. Like, I need to know what's in it. Oh, I don't know. 
okay, well, what else have you got? Well, here's his snack box. And then I opened it and I was like, but the food in here is not what says it on the box. I don't know. And I'm like, my kid is going to die if he eats peanuts. I need to know what's in his food. I don't know. That was my entire experience. And and you just feel like this, as you said, this helicopter parent, you know, you feel like you're overreacting, but you're, you're 100% right. You cannot yeah. let this child be exposed to peanut. They're in the air for 10 hours. That's what, I mean, Japan's like 10-ish hours. If something goes wrong, you have to give them an EpiPen and hope for the best until they get down to the ground. Like, why would you risk that? And with the way allergic reactions, anaphylaxis work, there is a, what we call a biphasic response. So there are two allergic episodes within each exposure. Mm. So very often if someone is having an anaphylactic reaction and you use an EpiPen, you need a second one. Yeah. And that's it. That's all you travel with too. So then I was like, if we're, we're out, we're out of EpiPens and we're going to another country that is, I don't know where to go. And I like, I literally would have to Google, okay, if I needed to go to the hospital in Japan, where would I go? I printed out a whole thing in Japanese that says, I am allergic, like for my son, anaphylaxis to peanuts, so that they understood in their language. So ho- holidays that are meant to be fun and cultural experience and relaxing, this sounds like a huge amount of work for you and your family. So I have traveled a lot in my time. I used to live overseas for many, many years. And this is the only time that I have planned where to go for breakfast, lunch and dinner every single day before I left the country because I was so scared about not having an opportunity. And also I packed probably like five kilos worth of food, like as in like crackers and snacks. Safe foods. Yep, to get him through just in case. I couldn't find anything when I was over there. Did you have any scares? Not for him. I actually felt Japan was a pretty good place because they don't really consume nuts as much. Like it's not in a lot of things as much as other allergens. I don't know. There's always a sense of I'm really worried something's going to go wrong at any point in time and am I prepared? Do I know what I'm doing? It's pretty confronting, in all honesty, because you're like, it's supposed to be fun, and it is fun when you're there, but you're kind of being very aware of what you're doing at all times. That's not a relaxing holiday. I mean, even not on holidays, even at home, can you go to restaurants? Is that just off the cards for your family? Australia is actually pretty good because, I, I mean, don't quote me, but I read this study saying that Aussie kids have more allergic reactions to things because we're quite a clean place than Mm -hmm. other people. Like we don't really expose our kids to as many things as maybe other countries do. So we we have more allergic reactions. It's called the cleanliness hypothesis. Mm, Very Mm. interesting. So I feel like in Oz, because peanuts are kind of like a big trigger for a lot of people, it's not as hard. But one thing that really shocked me was when Diesel went to school... His school is not nut-free. They are a, are a nut-minimalist school, which means you can bring nuts, but we prefer you not to. That's <laughs> so, such an unusual term. I've heard nut-aware as well. Nut-minimalist. Yeah, I haven't heard that one. It's a bit odd. And basically, so the lesson is that Diesel has to carry his own EpiPen in a bag around his body. This is, we're talking about a six-year-old. Yes, five when they first started. (sighs) And, or four even, do you know what I mean, in Queensland? 
They have to carry their EpiPen around when they're on the playground and when they're eating and the teacher is watching them. However, you as a parent need to educate your child on the fact that they need to sit like a meter apart from their kid, their friends. If their friends are eating Nutella or peanut butter, they cannot play with their friends until their friends wash their hands and wash their mouth. So now it's the responsibility of two kids rather than just one kid. And then hope, just hope that that is, is okay and that your kid isn't having airborne exposure because you don't know that either about anaphylaxis. You have no idea if it's airborne or physical or ingested. Like, you don't know until it happens. So someone, just so people understand the severity, someone can eat peanuts and then without before washing their hands, they can brush up against Diesel's arm and expose yep. him. Potentially, yes. Mm. And there's some people who are literally like, you know, it's just in the area. Yeah. And they have a reaction as well. So he has to be responsible for his safety, basically, at five years old, now six. And it's it's honestly like it's baffling to me that you put the responsibility of his own life on this kid. And that's the reason I, I said, like, I'm very upfront about the fact that you can die if you eat these peanuts and I need you to be aware of that. You will no longer be here on this earth with mummy or daddy if if this happens. And I need him to understand that so that he doesn't relax around those situations. And honestly, I'm like so proud of him because he he even educates me now. Mum, he was eating Nutella and I told him that he couldn't eat it near me. So I walked away and I sat over there and then I watched him until he cleaned his hands and then we could play. And like, that's pretty heartbreaking to hear. Yeah. But also good on you because you're a legend and you're five and you are taking matters into your own hands. And like, I just, I don't, like other parents who don't have this, it's so bad. Like it's so dangerous for kids. Please be aware of like others in your kids' vicinities and like at parties and stuff. And it, I don't think it's possible for, if, if you're a parent and your child doesn't have anaphylaxis, I don't think it's possible to come close to understanding the toll that that would have on a parent. Does it cause conflict with the other parents? Like, do, have, have there been times where people have not shown this the seriousness that it deserves and, and you know, pushed back against you? Uh, no specific parents that I've been around, but I remember when he kind of first started... I wanted them to make an announcement in his class that this was his condition and they didn't really make the announcement and I kind of wanted to stand up and be like, no, no, this is life or death. Like our 25 kids or whatever, I need you to be aware of what the severity of this situation is and not just glaze over it. This is not an allergy. This is a life or death situation. Like please don't downplay it. And so basically, I think I ended up emailing the class or something and all the parents, and now they actually avoid bringing nuts if they know that their kids play with diesel, which is so, so lovely. Mm. But people do forget, and that's okay. And like even my family, like kids love Nutella. They love peanut butter. And I just have to constantly be like, hey, diesel's coming over. You know, please don't give your kids this and generally they're fine, but I don't mind being that person. Like literally every time a grandparent or my 
sister takes a kid, I'm like, do you remember how to use this, EpiPen? I'm just going to remind you. You have to be. I, I distinctly <laughs> remember when my son was in grade one, we had like an information night in the first week of school. Mm. And this mum got up, actually went to school with her, and she got up in front of the class. And this is a nut-free school. And yeah. she got up and she said, I need you to know that my daughter is in class with your child and she is anaphylactic to sesame. Now, sesame is, mm. wow, sesame is everywhere. And she told stories about times that she's been in hospital and times where she thought, you know, she was going to lose her child. And Mm. it hit so hard. All the parents were listening to this and we were heartbroken that she had to go through this. And it was just a no brainer. We started reading labels. We were very cautious about what we sent. Mm. We made sure that our son knew who this person was. And, you know, I think it's the least that other parents can do. You would hope, but it's not always the case. What has been the most difficult part of his condition for you? I think definitely the transition to school was that was the hardest thing because at daycare, it's very sheltered. And then you're sending them out into this environment where they're much more on their own, essentially, and you're trusting in a lot more people to look after your kid. And it's very confronting because you are trying to be like, I'm calm, I'm calm. But inside you're like, but what if, what if this happens? What if this happens? And it's just constantly being that person that speaks up, does their research, helping the kid having a really open communication with the child about food, about other things, and then them not feeling like nervous to tell you, you know, I ate this or I, I, it's just, it's a really like, I feel like the older they get, the more new things that you're exposed to. And you just, it's not that you live in a constant state of fear, but you're in a constant state of like, what if? Yeah. So, so as someone who has grown up without these things yourself, someone who, you know, as you said, spent years gallivanting the globe and you're a creative, um, a model, you're very free, free living, free Mm. spirit. You're the expert in the room. What has this experience taught you? I think it's kind of a bit humbling, right? Because you realize how other people live and survive in the world and how grateful you are that you don't have these things because they can be really confronting and also just like being grateful for the life you lead and being able-bodied and around like to move around and travel and I mean being becoming a parent is a whole thing do you know what I mean and like there's a lot that comes with being a parent in general but I am just grateful that I have my child first and foremost and that I will do anything to help him get through this life. I'm willing to make any sacrifice and probably just being more cautious about the world. And like, I I, I don't know, you kind of double guess yourself in a lot of ways as well. Like, is this right? Um, should I be doing this? You feel guilty a lot of the time um, because you might accidentally give them the wrong moisturizer and then it makes them itchy and you feel really shitty and it's really hard because you're like you don't know any better so as a parent you're only doing the best you can possibly do 
I think it's beautiful yeah. that despite all the hardship and the constant presence of this strain on, on your life, on Diesel's life, the response that you give is that you're humbled by it and that you're grateful for all the things you do have. That's beautiful. I am because I, I don't know. I'm just like, there's really terrible things in this world. And, you know, some kids go through, you know, childhood cancer and things like that. And that's just awful. And those parents are like superheroes. Like I get emotional thinking about it. Um, so I, that's why I'm like, even though we're in this situation, like if I can protect you and, and do all the things, I'm more than happy to do that and just be grateful that you're in my life, <laughs> basically. Well, Lexi Bree, speaking of grateful, I am so grateful that you have joined us and shared your story, Diesel's story. And speaking of superheroes, you are one super mum. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you. thank you so much. This has been wonderful. And to enjoy more parenting stories like Lexi's, please like, follow, subscribe and share Dr. Golly and the Experts wherever you listen. And for any information on my sleep programs or new book, head to drgully.com. And just before you go, I have a small favour to ask. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd love if you could rate and review the show so that more people can find us and hear these incredible stories just like Lexi's. Lexi's.